G'day friends, welcome back. So, so I reckon this year there has been more ridiculous rounds of football than ever before. This this season has been amazing. Like this this race for the top eight that they're currently that we're currently bearing witness to is unlike anything I can remember. So we've still got like four or five teams who can legitimately squeeze into the, that last spot or those last two spots if West Coast fall down. And I can't remember that ever being the case before. This is a crazy season. And of course, last night, we have a game that is had to, that has to stop because of lightning. Like, well, the last two years has been un forgettable this will all go these last two seasons will go down in footy folklore because they have been absolutely bananas absolutely bananas there is a heap of shit to get through so let's get into it So, the first of the impossible games, all the way back on Friday night. Now, going <clears throat> going down the highway to Geelong is sucky enough already. Like, they, they pretty much never lose there, Geelong. It, it is one of the most fortressy fortresses in all of football. And, you know, when you add in that the Giants were missing, you know, eight or nine of their best team, basically half of their best side, you go, oh, Geelong are going to win quite comfortably here. This will be elementary for them. You know, Giants probably competitive, but they're not really any chance. And and when Geelong start how they did, College Asney of all people, right, kicking the first goal of the game and the first goal of his career, which I loved, by the way, in the first minute of the game, they're like, oh dear, Geelong are very, very much on top here. But then from then on, it, it was a complete, like, it was unbelievable. This is the best win of the season by a mile. The insurmountable odds that were stacked against the Giants, right? All the players they had out, Josh Kelly being a laid out right before the game. And then they come out and win the way that they did. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. They're playing with half a team and they've beaten the t- like Geelong at the time were the most informed team in the comp. They were one of, if not the flag favorite. And they probably should still be along with a couple of others. Like I, I, like if I'm a Geelong supporter, I'm not too worried about this. It's, it's good to have a little reality check right before the finals. It's not a terrible result. Um, but yeah, it blew my mind the way that the Giants played. And it wasn't any sort of genius, like, coaching method. They didn't do 
something really clever that that Geelong didn't expect. They just outworked them and outhunted them and outplayed them. It was just really simple, tough footy. And the way that the Giants have gone this year, they, much more than any of the other teams, deserve to be in the top eight. Like, those other teams that are sort of vying for those last couple of spots. Like, the the injuries that they've had, the form that they've had, yeah, they've, like, they had the draw with North Melbourne, and, you know, they, they lost, I think they lost the game to Hawthorne and some other ones they shouldn't have, but, like, their average, like, you know, the average level of performance for them has been much higher than Richmond and Essendon and St Kilda and Fremantle, these other teams. Probably even more than West Coast, to tell you the truth. Like, the Giants haven't been blown off the park. Not that I can remember. Not by 100 points like West Coast have a couple of times. Like St Kilda have a couple of times. Like, they've been really, really good. And I actually think, given they've got that draw up their sleeve, so the extra two points, like... They could they could finish seventh. I really think they could. I think West Coast is still going to get in, but I think West Coast will finish eighth, and the Giants will finish seventh. I think the Giants will beat Richmond this week. I can't remember who they've got the week after. I think it's a tough one. Um, but yeah, they should, if they can play like this with half of their team out, what are they going to be like with Kelly back in, with Hopper back in, with Hogan back in, Finlayson? Mumford, like all, all these, like, you know, Hill, Davis, all these players that they were missing, you know, some of those players are not going to be back next week, you know, but it, it, it cannot go underrated what they've done this year and what they did on Friday night. It was absolutely remarkable. Um, it will be tainted somewhat if Toby Green does end up being suspended he shouldn't be purely because of precedent um the the mro and the tribunal this year have not had a they haven't had a good year they've had a really really bad year in terms of adjudicating you know the different incidents that have gone on like the the fact that buddy franklin is able to get off with ease because of precedent um, a couple of weeks ago, the fact that Toby Green should get off again because of precedent, that they have a responsibility to nip some of these issues early in the season. They get they go soft on one thing early in the year, and they have to remain soft on it for the entire rest of the year because it's unfair to the players later on. It's not Franklin's fault that he got off. It's not Toby Green's fault that he's going to get off. It's the MRO, MRO's fault and the tribunal's fault, well, actually, the MRO has been pretty consistent, you know, continually, you know, trying to suspend players, but then the tribunal gets them off, right? So th- there's, the, there's the inconsistency between the two bodies that is causing the issues. And I think we, they need to start next year really, really firm. As soon as there is any kind of incident, whether it's a high fend-off with an elbow, whether it's a blind throwing back of an elbow into someone's head, whether it's a sling tackle that, you know, is borderline, is it, you know, dangerous. 
They need to, whatever the first incident is, however it comes, they had Dangerfield at the start of this year and they suspended him. It was good. But then they just went soft from then on with the next whatever it was, right? The start of next year, they have got to be 100% on everything, right? They need to, in the off season, you know, I don't know whether Michael Christian will stay on in his role. Um, I don't know what the tribunal will look like next year. I don't know how it's all going to work. It's probably due for a shake-up. But whoever the people are whose job it is to do this stuff, they need to sit down and they need to put together a rubric of sorts around the players' heads. Duty of care, concussion, all of that. They need to decide, you know, whether it is outcome-based or whether, you know, they need to decide whether it's a case-by-case thing. They need to decide whether there's going to be, you know, a scale of severity like we have now. Like, all this head-high contact stuff, the sling tackles, the whatevers, they need their own ruling system because it is a fucking different thing. Daniel Venables is 22 years old and he has to retire now because of concussion. He played in a grand final three years ago as a kid and now his career's over. That's not fair. That's so not fair. And so many players having to deal with this, you know, these concussion symptoms for years and years. Like we've had, you know, Venables is just another in a long list Liam Picken, Kobe Stevens, like all, all these players who have retired because of concussion symptoms, they need to take it way more seriously than they are. Listen to the way that David King talks about this concussion stuff. He is so hard on it. And that is how everyone should be. You know, some of these old footballers are like, oh, it's a football act. It can't be a football act anymore. It just can't be. It's a shame. Like part of what makes our game so awesome is how hard it is. But... If, if they can still be hard, they just got to be hard body on body. No more high elbows, no more sling tackles, right? Look at look at how, and I'll get to this later, but look at how the Essendon players reacted when Josh Bruce did his knee, right? They all got over to him, gave him a hug, pat on the back. Sorry, mate, hope you're, you're whatever they said. All these players have a shared experience. They can all sympathise with each other. Most of them, they all get on with each other, right? As soon as the siren sounds at the end of the game, they're all mates again, right? They don't want to give each other lifelong concussion symptoms, do they? So they need to start... It probably starts with the coaching, you know, in pre-season, even week to week, when they're teaching tackling when they're teaching bumping right they need to start working really hard on protecting the opponent and yes accidents are going to happen accidents accidents <laughs> accidents are going to happen right and that is probably why they should be looked at on a case-by-case basis but even accidents like like what they did with the Mackay McKay incident on Hunter Clark earlier in the year. Rewind it by 10 seconds. 
Look at the decisions the player made in the lead up, right? Did they take into account the potential for injury to the other player's head? Right? And, and obviously no legitimate player in the AFL is going to want to pull up and not go as hard as they can at the contest. Right? They want to attack the footy. They want to tackle hard. That's fine. But And, and the excuse that, you know, oh, you know, they've got to make split-second decisions, blah, blah, blah. They make split-second decisions every second of the game. You know, oh, there's 17 other players around this contest. I need to snap this over my shoulder in a fraction of a second to get the goal here. You know, I need to decide whether I'm going to try and mark this or whether I'm going to try and spoil it. They make decisions in a fraction of a second a thousand times throughout a game. There is no reason they can't do the same about the, the safety of another player. It, it really, really has to be... It, it needs a complete overhaul. The whole... The way it's looked at, the way it's adjudicated everything next year. I think it will, because there's enough talk about it now. And, and Venables retiring at 22 is, is a really good ambassador, a really good symbol of how... And, like, his was a legitimate, complete accident. It was a marking contest, right? But, you know, if, if that is what can happen in something as innocuous as a marking contest, what could a sling tackle do? What could the very point of someone's elbow do, right? It, it, it really needs to be seriously looked at. Anyway, right, moving onward, on to the more ridiculous results of the weekend on Saturday. Now, I said that during the week, I said during the week that the game I was most interested in, the game I was most looking forward to this weekend was Carlton v Gold Coast. I said that there should be a... WWE-style match stipulation that the winning the winning coach here gets a 12-month contract extension because Stuart Dew and David Kett, David T are the two coaches who look most likely to be out of a job next, right? And this game was going to tell us a lot about both of these teams, and it did. It was, it was one of the better games of the round, and... Gold Coast getting the win. I will say very proudly that I tipped Gold Coast to win because I just had a feeling they were going to respond and that Carlton were not going to be able to continue to have good form. I don't think Carlton have won two games in a row this year. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure since the bye, they've gone win-loss, 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 like something like that. Um, They just... The Blues, the Blues are a disaster. They really are. Like, they had, there was a lot of expectation on them this year, which isn't really ever helpful for a team, especially, you know, a team that's on the way up. But they should they should have done so much better. Finals now mathematically impossible. They were a long shot anyway, but now mathematically impossible. Um, when you've got players... Like, you got Harry Mackay at one end, Jacob Wiedering at the other, Walsh in the middle. You know, you've got, you know, the recruits you've brought in, like Jack Martin and Zach Williams and Adam Saad, these good players, and you still just can't deliver. You've got all these high draft picks. 
you know, Paddy Dow now getting a lot of games, all, all these players, and you, and you just continue to be the epitome of mediocrity. And, and when they have a performance like this where they were just not at all interested in working hard to win this game, you can see it in the footage. They, they were content on being average. Very, very content, right? And it, it is 100%, this may, this may get confusing, but stick with me, it is 100% the player's responsibility to improve that aspect, but it is also 100% the coach's responsibility to inspire that response in the players. It is the coach's job to bring it out of the players, but it is the player's job to actually, you know, do their end, hold up their side of the bargain, right? I don't think, I think David Teague will get to go around again next year, but I think he'll be gone by the bye. You know, when it gets to the bye of 2022, that'll be three years that he's been coaching this team. And unless they're in the top eight at that point in the year, he'll be gone. I just, I, I think he is not hard enough on them. And it's pretty clear to me that he lacks that thing that the really good coaches have that the players want to perform for, you know? Because he's got a really solid list. Carlton have a very good team on paper. But they are just so inconsistent. Oh, a bit of wind out there. Um, like to play as well as they did against St Kilda. And then come up against Gold Coast. Who had just been beaten by 100 points the week before. And just give nothing. Yeah, like it was a bit of an arm wrestle here and there. But Gold Coast really controlled the game. They they were never dominant Gold Coast, but Carlton, once Gold Coast got in front, or once Gold Coast sort of got back levelish, because Carlton were a little bit in front early, after that, they just didn't look like they were going to win. They didn't look competitive. They just looked insipid, really. And and while while we have seen that Sticking with a coach can work, you know, Nathan Buckley, Damian Hardwick, you know, both were very, very close to losing their jobs, stuck with it, and then had a bit of success, a fair bit of success in Hardwick's case. I don't get that vibe at all from David Teague. I do, like, he, keep, he said last week that he's going to back himself in. I don't think he is confident one, that he's going to keep his job, and two, I don't think he's confident in his own ability to lift this team up the ladder. I just I just don't see it in him. I think he could be a very good assistant coach somewhere, probably still at Carlton, maybe not, because um, he, you know, he's got that connection there, he was a player there, he's very ingrained in the community. But, yeah, I, I just don't see where they're going to improve. They can't keep bringing in these recruits because it's not working. They need to stick with what they've got and then continue to bolster with good draft picks. So, you know, maybe they look to trade out, you know, one of these players that's sort of, you know, in their best team, but maybe 
you know, sort of between that 18th and 22nd best player, trade out a player like that, try and get a goodish pick. I don't think going after a Josh Kelly or one of these guys is going to help. I think they've got really good bones and they need to just build from that with a better coach at the helm. Um, Gold Coast have a little, they have very much the same issue. They haven't got as good a team on paper as Carlton do, um, but Stuart G's also been coaching for 12 months more than David Teague has. In fact, 18 months more. Um, I, I think, I don't know, it's, it's really hard because like after after the Melbourne game, they lose by 100 points. You're like, Jesus Christ, like we get rid of Stuart Jew. This isn't working. Need a revamp. Let's try and get Alistair Clarkson, yada, yada, yada. But then they, they back up and play like this. Play like they did on Saturday against Carlton. They were excellent. Their attack on the footy was good. They had contributors across the board. They bring in a player like Townsend for his first game for the club. Plays the forward, second ruck roll. He played it better than Silvani did. He's shorter than Silvani. Um, and, he, and he, you don't think of him as an X-Factor player, but he was their X-Factor player. He was the grit that they needed. And you got Took Miller, who is almost certain now to be in the starting midfield for the All-Australian. He's having a remarkable year. And if he, if he played for a Melbourne club, he'd be everyone's, you know, pick to be the starting Rover for the All-Australian. Purely because he plays for Gold Coast, he might not get in, but he bloody well should. Um, and yeah, yeah, like, you got... You got there's, there's a lot more youth at the Gold Coast than there is at Carlton. They've both got young players, but Gold Coast are probably 12 to 18 months behind Carlton in sort of their age demographic of their list, I would imagine. And Gold Coast are also missing, like they're missing Greenwood. Ellis only played a little bit of the game. He went out again with another hamstring. They haven't got their captain in, in wits. Um, so, you know, they're missing players here and there, but they've still, I don't know. Like, I, th I think Gold Coast, like Carlton, should be doing better than they are. But for some reason, I feel like Gold Coast... We should allow them to have a very, very, very slow build. <laughs> like, we shouldn't expect them to jump three or four spots up the ladder every year as they develop. For some reason, I don't think we should expect that just because because of where they're located, right? Um, the last two games of the year are going to be really big for them. I'm not sure who they've got. Uh, but if, if Stuart Jew wants to keep his job, they've got to play like they did on Saturday. Because that was excellent. They play like they did on Saturday. Next year, they could be one of the teams who's either in the eight or fighting for the eight. Like, that's the sort of performance it was. It was a lot like GWS's performance. They just don't have the... They don't have the star power. They don't have, they don't have a Toby Green like GWS do, right? I don't know. It's, it's really, really fascinating. I would be... Equally as unsurprised if both Teague and you are gone at the end of the year as I would if neither of them are gone at the end of the year. Because um, there's there's a lot of, like, you know, 
the last two years have been COVID years, injuries, man, man. Like, you know, there's plenty of excuses you can put up. What you cannot excuse is playing how Carlson did. No effort. So we'll see how the two of them go in the last two games of the year, and it'll be it'll continue to fascinate me whether they maintain form, drop form, you know, whatever. Anyway, really, really good win by Gold Coast, and I hope they can continue to, you know, put up something similar to that. All right, moving on. Next game, Richmond getting the job done against North by 33 points. Gee, Richmond are lucky. <laughs> they're lucky. So North were completely in control of this game for the first half. They led by, I don't know, 20-odd points at halftime, I believe. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so 20 points was North's lead at halftime, and it should have been more that they had complete control of the game. Richmond were letting them do basically whatever they wanted. They had players in space at every moment. They just didn't take all of their opportunities. Like, they didn't kick terribly. They kicked five goals, six. But, yeah, they should have just been further in front. And Richmond, again, really, really terrible in the first half. Two goals, four. One of those goals coming right on half time. So, basically, in an entire half of football, just the one goal. Um, it, I don't know. Richmond can still make the eight. I can't see it happening just by the way that they're only playing half a game at a time. Granted, the second half of this game was absolutely miraculous. Like, 11 goals to three in the second half is pretty bloody good. And that's why they won by five goals in the end. But they just came out at halftime and completely changed what they were doing. And North weren't at all prepared for it. Um, they just went up about five gears and just completely blew them off the park. But, the, like, it's it's been amazing how poor they have been since the bye, basically. Especially in first halves. Like, so few goals kicked in first halves. And there's been some games, oh God, Bird, shut up. And there's been so many games where they haven't scored much at all for the entire game. So R Richmond have got to look, I mean, yeah, they're, they're missing soldiers, everyone's missing players, but they've got to look at why they aren't scoring as heavily as they usually do, because it's, it's a big problem for them. And if they do somehow make finals, they will need to address it if they're going to do any sort of damage to anybody. Um, So North Melbourne now have pretty much, not pretty much, I think they will definitely finish on bottom now and get the number one draft pick or, you know, after um, Sean Darcy's kid and Nick Dacos are gone, then they'll get, it'll be Jason Horn probably. Um, this might be one of the best teams ever to finish on the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> The second half of the year has been absolutely brilliant, North Melbourne. I've been saying this every week for a while now. Um, yeah, that they, they, you know, they fell pretty flat in the second half against Richmond, but it's been a long year. They're a young team. They were very, very good in the first half. They just couldn't keep it up after the long break, which is fair enough. That's fine. I, I think North Melbourne have got a real chance to rocket up the ladder next year. A real chance. 
all these young-ish players that they've got, like, you know, like Taron Thomas, LDU, Larky, all these sort of 21-year-olds that they've got are going to be another year older. And if they can, they don't have to, they're not going to be amazing next year, but if they continue the form that they've been in in the second half of this year, they're going to jump up to that sort of 10th to 12th range quite comfortably, maybe even higher. They could be really good next year. If Goldstein can stick around for another year, hopefully Cunnington can recover from the the, the cancer issue that he's got. I don't know. If it, sorry, it wasn't cancer. I don't think it was just a, a tumour. Um, anyway, if he can come back fit and firing, they could be really deadly next year. Like, yeah, they've, they've lost pretty badly in the end to Richmond here, but they don't need to worry about it. Look to next year. Look to the draft picks they're going to be able to get. Look at the positives out of this year. That's what I'd be doing if I was a North fan, because they've been really good. Um, and yeah, R- Richmond have given themselves a good chance to sneak into the eight here. But these last two weeks, they have got to fix their scoring problems. They really have to. Because their forward line has been one of the areas that hasn't really been hit by injury at all. It's pretty much intact. Still got Rewalt and Lynch down there. Still got Bolton, you know. Still got, you know, some of their, like, even, you know, Arts has been dropped the last couple of weeks with Parker coming in. Parker played forward and was not too bad. Um, yeah, it's, it's their midfield and their backline mainly that's been hit the worst. And now they're starting to get some players back in the midfield and they're playing that Richmond brand. I don't know. I can't personally see them doing a whole lot of damage in September if they get there. But, you know, if, if they play really well the last couple of weeks, get a bit of momentum going, who knows what could happen. It is Richmond. It is Richmond. All right, moving on to the Saturday night games. Well, first we had Showdown 50, which... It, it doesn't seem to matter where Adelaide and Port Adelaide are on the ladder. They, nine times out of ten, put on a really good show for a showdown. And and this was not a very high-scoring game, only 55 to 51 in the end, but it was a cracker. It was such a good game. It was such an entertaining game. The, you know, one of the real shames this year is there's been so many games played without crowds. The, these games in Adelaide and in Perth, with with fans in the stands, are, you know, five times more enjoyable to watch just because they got the fans there. And, and this game, like, even, even with a limited capacity stadium, you can feel the energy, you can hear that roar that we've been missing so much here in Melbourne. It's so awesome to watch. And this game was a ripper. Like, Adelaide, Adelaide through the middle of the game just getting two or three goals in front, you think, gee, are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be able to hang on? Every time Port Adelaide kicked a goal, Adelaide was able to answer, gee, are they going to be able to do it? And then, you know, late in the third quarter, fourth quarter, Adelaide, Port Adelaide, sorry, start piling on the goals. You think, oh, gee, they're going to run away. And then, you know, very late, Adelaide get that one goal back through Tom Lynch. And and, and you go, oh, gee, what's going to happen here? Yeah, is, is there going to be a Stevie Motlop flashpoint <laughs> moment again. But no, no, not to be, not to be. Port Adelaide get the job done. Um, Tom Lynch, by the way, not being offered a contract for next year, which I find very interesting. It says a lot about the mindset of Adelaide moving into next year, continuing with the 
very aggressive rebuild. Um, I'll get to Tex in a minute. Uh, how good is Aaliyah Aaliyah? He was brilliant early in the year, sort of dropped off a little through the middle. But gee, his, his game on Saturday, like he won the showdown medal, which is, is brilliant for key defenders everywhere because they're not known for winning any individual awards. Um, he was remarkable. He is, ex I said this back in November or whenever it was that they picked him up. He is exactly what they needed. Exactly what they needed. A, a big key defender who can do both. He can play the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, contested role, or he can be the one who rolls off and intercept marks. He can do both. And he, he is pretty much the reason that they won on the weekend. Like Adelaide were doing really, really well, but they just, so many times they couldn't get past the wall that was a Lear Aaliyah. He was re remarkable. Um, Adelaide. So the whole Tex Walker thing is not good. It's really not good. Tex is a really, really respected individual in the AFL. He's been a great leader of the Adelaide Football Club for a long time. Um, he's stuck with them and, you know, worked really hard through a really tough period following the grand final loss, following the camp disaster, following all the players leaving. You know, he, he hasn't left. And this year has been one of the best of his career. He's equal second in the Coleman. By the way, Harry Mackay is just about sewn up the Coleman now because Bruce and Walker were the two who were in equal second and neither of them are playing again this year. So you'd think Mackay is going to win it pretty comfortably now. Um, but yeah, he was having such a good year. And then this, this news comes out last week that he said something very bad, something, you know, racist at a Sandful game earlier in the year, directed towards ex-Saint Robbie Young. Um, the fact, we don't know what he said. We'll probably never find out what he said. But the fact that it was an Adelaide official who brought it to the club's attention says a lot. Says it was probably quite, you know, on the spectrum of racist things you can say, it was probably quite up there. Um... It, it's it's very complicated because the, all it's been it, it's been a problem forever, right? This racism stuff, people saying stuff on social media, all these brilliant players and these brilliant people having to put up with this shit forever, and and then someone who a lot of us hold in pretty high regard thinks a really upstanding bloke, it comes out that he's you know contributed to it and it just like going off what Tony Armstrong said on the weekend he said it cut pretty deep in the indigenous community and you know you think about the players that Walker has played with Eddie Betts who's like the guy for you know fighting against racism a guy who's copped it a lot himself like and, and, you know, Matthew Nix's, the press conference that he did, and thinking about the players that he played with at Sydney, Goods, O'Loughlin, like, 
it, it, it's it's pretty devastating for everybody that this has happened. And and I think I think Tex is going to have a really hard time himself. Like I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he had a weak moment. I think you know maybe he had some habits that came out in that moment. You know there are there are you know Texas from Broken Hill. It's a rural area, very isolated. You know I don't know what the culture's like in Broken Hill. I don't know, but a lot of people from rural areas are not you know as conscious of you know what they say on certain issues sometimes it's a little bit of a generalization but you know i'm, I'm trying to see where tex has come from because this shocked me quite a lot that it came from him um it was it was a weak moment and he is gonna he well he has been penalized quite severely six weeks and twenty thousand dollars to be donated to a, a charity um uh, you know, with indigenous, you know, connections. I don't know which charity it is, but it'll be a good one. Um, and then he has to go to sessions where he has to sort of work on himself and work on his opinions and all of that. I don't know what you, I, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but you know, he has been dealt with appropriately, I think, and. He did the video with Robbie Young yesterday and a lot of people were not happy with it, including Kane Corns, who just doesn't like Tex in general. Um, but a lot of people didn't like how fake it looked. They, or they, sorry, they didn't, they thought it looked fake. I'm not personally saying it was fake, um, but they didn't think it seemed genuine, including Corns. And look, yeah, it was a little awkward. It was a little clunky, um, but... I think it is an insult to Robbie Young, who sat next to Tex in that video and took part in it. It's an insult to him to say that it is ingenuine. Why the hell would he want to take part in that video if it wasn't legitimate? Why would he want to do that? He's the guy who's been insulted. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I, I think it is legitimately, you know, a real heartfelt moment from Tex. He's just not great on camera, is what I think. He's not a very articulate fellow, is all I think it is. Um, I think, you know, it, it's big of Robbie Young to get on camera with Tex and accept his apology. And I think in terms of this incident, we just move on. I, I think dragging Tex through the mud for who knows how long is, isn't what this should be about. It should be about educating people, including Walker. Um, and then we move forward. I don't want this to be the end of his career. I don't think he deserves that. What Adelaide people have... Sorry, my phone's going off so much. What Adelaide people have said is that he's actually a very charitable person, as far as I'm aware. Um, not necessarily Indigenous charities per se, but he's, he's a very charitable person. He... He cares a lot about other people. I just think this was a weak moment from him that he is going to regret for the rest of his life because this will be remembered. But we also have to remember the sort of bloke he has been in the past. So, you know, I hope people can do that. And I hope this is not the end of his career because he's, he's in ripping form.
and Adelaide, whether or not they want to continue with this really aggressive rebuild, they're going to want him at the club moving forward. I believe that. Uh, but yeah, that's all I'll say about that. It was a really, really good game. Port Adelaide are in excellent form. They're probably they're probably the most informed team in the top eight at the moment. Like they've now won four in a row, I believe, and they've cemented their spot in the top four. Um, so I, I think those teams, those four teams in the top four now, are because because it does change every week. I think they're the ones who can possibly win it. Melbourne, Dogs, Geelong, Port. Do not count the dogs out. I'll say why when I get to them, but do not count them out yet. Okay, and then on to the Saints. Well, when you talk about teams that are impossible to predict, St Kilda are definitely one of them. Brilliant, brilliant performance against the Swans, who had been red hot last month or so, coming off the back of a terrible performance against the Blues last Friday night. Um, this was one of the most well-rounded team performances I've seen from St Kilda in a good while. The Brisbane win about six weeks ago was really, really good. And then this one was just every single player played their role. They knew their role. It, It was just executed to perfection. You know, a team has played perfectly when they win every single quarter. That's what St Kilda did. Um, number of things that just worked really well. Jack Higgins, you know, everyone went on and on about how he exercised his demons, which he did do. Very, very good to see him kick a bag. Um, Cal Wilkie. The job that Cal Wilkie did on Buddy Franklin was amazing. When Howard did his hamstring last week, I was like, oh, now we have no one to take the big forwards of the opposition. I was so impressed with what Wilkie... Oh, that reminds me... Sorry, just going back to Friday night. What Sam Taylor did on Tom Hawkins. Fucking amazing. Amazing job by Taylor. He he will very soon be one of the best big men in the comp if he isn't already. I forgot to mention that. Um, but yeah, Wilkie, keeping Franklin to five touches and a goal that he got from a free kick that wasn't even paid against Wilkie. Um, th- amazing job. Really, really well done. Um, really good contributions from, you know, the, sort of the, the next tier down of players like a McKenzie. Um, great to see him. Like He's actually played probably the best footy of his career this year. He's only played, I don't know, he might have only played nine or ten games off the top of my head, but he's played really well. A lot of times, um, Caulfield and Highmore, who are very, very similar players, both played that intercept defender role very well, um, each taking turns to sort of roll off their opponent and and take a mark. Really, really, that works brilliantly. Um, Marshall in the middle, he, he made a couple of pretty bad errors in the first half, but across the entire game, he was superb. Um, Steele is always, but again, he was just... Superb. Um, King was good. His injury will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if he plays next week. If he doesn't play next week, as in, sorry, as in this week coming, um, probably just rest him for the rest of the year, I would say. I can't see us making finals, so 
I, I would like don't risk him. He's had a very good second half of the year. If he has injured himself, don't rush him back for around twenty three. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. Um, yeah, it was just it was great to see. It, it, that was Saints footy. Lots of pressure, like really good team synergy. I I loved it all. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, like with the Geelong loss, I don't think Sydney need to worry about this too much. Every team that's going really well late in the year often has one of these games. That bird is making so much noise outside. Uh, yeah, anyway, Sydney are going to be fine. Um, if they really want to do... If they want to go deep into September, they do need to not allow teams to dump a heap of pressure on them like St Kilda did because they did crumble pretty easily. Um, so that is something they need to work on. But apart from that, they're still a very good team. That They will probably finish fifth, you would think. don't think Brisbane are going to be able to come back and jump ahead of them. Um, so, yeah, I, I can see Sydney winning at least... One final, they probably win two. They're still a little bit of a wild card. They've been shown now to be vulnerable, but I'm not worried too much about them. But yeah, I, I was really... Because re- like the way that we... Like we'd lost... What have we lost? Three in a row or four in a row? Something like that. Like we were looking really ordinary St Kilda the last three or four weeks. And I was thinking, gee, are we going to win another game for the year? How far are we going to fall? But no, it's good to see that we've got some fight late in the year, mathematically keeping ourselves in it, but our percentage is just going to be killer. Um, yeah, yeah, just a really good team performance. Like, Sinclair was brilliant again. He's had a really underrated year. Jones, I think, has, you know, again, he's had a lot of injuries, only played 10 or so games, but he was really good. Brad Hill, again, racked up plenty of touches, but just isn't damaging enough with them. I don't think halfback is the permanent position for him. I think they really need to figure out how to get him to work on a wing. I think that's the best spot for him where, you know, he can do the most work. Um, yeah, I haven't got a whole lot else to say. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, like I've said the last couple of weeks, I'm going to do a, an enormous episode just on St Kilda's year. I'll talk about most of the players, how I thought they went. I'll talk about all the injuries, how I think that's impacted our year. I'll talk about what we need to target in the off-season all that stuff, I'll go through it all in quite great detail. This win was pretty straightforward. We were just, you know, about as good as we could be. There's, I don't really have anything to critique, and I, I praise basically everything. Just just the, just the couple of players, you know, your Hills, Dunstan, Crouch, just getting plenty of the ball but not being super damaging with it. That is one thing that I would like us to address in the last couple of weeks, just our ball use by some of the players. Um... I hope that we can be competitive against Geelong. I can't see them losing in Geelong two weeks in a row. That would be remarkable. Um, Hanabry is supposedly going to be back in the team this weekend. That would be interesting. Um, don't know how I feel about that just yet, but you know, I'm quite happy for them to give him a go. And then we've got Fremantle in round 23. If somehow we're able to beat Geelong and Fremantle beat whoever they've got this week, suddenly that round 23 game becomes tantalising. But I can't see us beating Geelong, so it's probably not going to matter. All right. 
moving on to the Sunday games, and the games continued to be really, really interesting on Sunday. And first up was Hawthorne beating Collingwood, which was another game that I tipped. So, suddenly now that he's out of a job, Clarko is coaching the wars off the place. Uh, it's kind of funny how well they've gone in the last couple of weeks, because now everyone who forced Clarko out the door is looking really, really silly. Because on paper, you look at their list and it's pretty ordinary, right? It's not the best. Um, but now, But now what he's like beating Brisbane last week, and yeah, Collingwood aren't the best, but Collingwood have been playing pretty well. Um, even though I tipped Hawthorne, I did think that Collingwood were going to just have more energy than them. Um, yeah, I, I just had a feeling, though, just after Hawthorne last week, that they would win again. But yeah, like, I think I think a lot of people thought that Collingwood's youth, you know, that they'd, they'd change their game style to be much faster um, and they did come with a bit of a rush in the second half, fought back a little bit, wrestled it back down to three goals after it being up around 40, not 40 goals, 40 points. Um, so yeah, they did, they do have the ability to score quite well. Collingwood, this is actually a very entertaining game, pretty high scoring, very accurate. 15-7 to 12 goals, six is a, is a pretty good game in my book. Um... But yeah, it is it is fascinating how Hawthorne have gone the last fortnight. Could like it Hawthorne are so interesting now. What's their off season gonna be like? Are a bunch of players gonna part ways with the club because of what's going on with Clarko? Like, you know, Ben McAvoy, everyone knows he's he was a big Clarko guy. And he led as the captain, he led that group of players who were, you know, opposing what was happening to Clarko. So it's going to be fascinating to see if there is this mass exodus, if Sam Mitchell has to, like, rebuild this team without a lot of senior players. There's been a bit of talk about Tom Mitchell going to another club. Um, it'd be amazing if a Brownlow medalist... If a Brownlow medalist was to leave this club in the state that it's in, like... That'd be like it's a bit different to Gary Ablett leaving the Gold Coast. That was a totally different scenario, but but you know Tom Mitchell came down from Sydney, won a Brownlow medal, and now he's you know he's their man. He's an like he's an accumulator who's actually extremely damaging. He's hit the scoreboard the last couple of weeks. Like I'd be shocked if he was to go. But you know th- there are a number of those senior players who are still you know around from that successful era who like there's a bit of talk about Gunston is what's he gonna do you know there's there's plenty of young key forwards at Hawthorne who need to be getting games do they go thanks Jack thanks for your service you can go play a year or two somewhere else before you hang them up like it, it interests me a great deal um and then Collingwood yeah look look I, I, I think now after this game, Robert Harvey won't be getting the job, but I think like he'll, he'll probably depart the pies at the end of the year. Now you would think it's sort of it'd be weird to go assistant, um, temporary senior coach, and then back to assistant. I think that'd be kind of strange under someone else. So I think he probably goes and gets an assistant job somewhere else. Um, but he'll definitely be in line for a senior job somewhere else in the future. He's shown enough 
you know, he's completely changed how Collingwood play. And it's been pretty effective. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with both of these clubs come the, come the end of the year. Like, we know we're all fun of going in terms of a coach, not the players, and we don't know where Collingwood are going in terms of a coach. So, very interesting, but yeah, good win by the Hawks, and I, I, I like that they've, you know, they've smashed out these last couple of weeks, because now there's zero chance of them finishing last, which I personally thought was going to happen. So, like, no, 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 no. We, we, we don't really care about getting that best, best, best draft pick. We're going to get a good one anyway. We want to win these last couple of games. It says a lot about Clarko, and it says a lot about the players as well, that that's what they're willing to do. So... Yeah, I do think that North Melbourne finished bottom now, but there's still a chance that it could be Adelaide, which would be interesting. All right. Then on to another another upset, one of the other more shocking upsets of the round and one of the more heartbreaking game, well, heartbreaking moments of the year. So Essendon got the job done against the Bulldogs by 13 points. Peter Wright kicks seven goals straight, which is unfucking believable. Um, and and the Bulldogs are now in a bit of strife. So obviously Brucey has done his ACL. Um, I hate ACLs. I hate them so much because they're just such a nothing injury. But it's twelve months off your career, and I loved Bruce when he was at St Kilda. Like, you'll never get a player who gives more effort. 110% every single week. Not always, you know, the best goal kicker. Not always the most influential player. But always gave his all. And this year has been the best year of his career. Equal second in the Coleman. He's extremely important to the Bulldogs. And they're pushing to win a premiership. And he could have been a part of that. And then in the last couple of seconds of a game that was over, literally as the siren was going, he does his ACL in just a nothing tackle. It was so innocuous. He just tackled and just rolled to the side a bit, and that was his ACL gone. Like, that's that's so fucked up. Ah, that's just... That just... I feel so bad for him. I feel so bad for him because, you know, he played a lot of football at St Kilda. So me and I think a lot of St Kilda supporters still have a big soft spot for him. I, I, like, I like him a lot. He's an awesome guy. Some players just deserve that less than others, if you know what I mean. Like, that just breaks your heart. And, and now it's, you know, it's headaches for the Bulldogs. You think Alex Keith... He might come back this week, if not next week, from his, his hamstring. So that's good. But now, are they going to be relying on Jamara and Norton alone to be the key forwards? Or when Keith comes back, do they move Shaki into the forward line? Is, is Stefan Martin going to be back this year? Don't know. So everything else is going quite well for them. But now that now their key positions are at risk of exposing them in a finals environment, it'll be really, really interesting to see how they go. I still think they can definitely get to a grand final. Not saying they will, 
Porter in very good form. Geelong are still in pretty good form, and Melbourne are still in very good form. So those other teams in the top four are going to like they're going to be really on come September. So the dogs are going to have to be on as well. But yeah, just they're going to have to be a little bit more on than everyone else because even even English he's doing okay in the ruck, but they brought Stefan Martin to the club for a reason. It's because English isn't quite there. Very good around the ground, but he doesn't give them supremacy in the middle like Martin does. It's very much like Marshall and Ryder. Very different, both good ruckmen, very different kinds of ruckmen. Um, so yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what the dogs do. Like, Luke Beveridge is one of the most creative coaches going around, and whatever he does, I'm certain it's going to work. Um you know, because like, they've still got, even their smaller forwards kind of play big. Like Cody Waitman, it's a lot to ask of him to become that next, you know, big goal kicker. But he he's a small forward who plays like a, a tall forward. He's, he's a bit Toby Green-like. Even Mitch Wallace, sort of a medium forward when he's down there. But he's got that big body. So, you know, is it going to be Jamara Norton and one of these sort of smaller types who plays a little bit larger than they are? Don't know, but... Yeah, I feel so bad for Brucey. I, I hope that the Bulldogs do very well next year and he can be back for the 2022 final series. That'd be really good. Um, this is Essendon's best win for the year, I would say. They've been a little wishy-washy. They've been one of those teams who's had the top eight at their fingertips and then just not been able to hold on to it. Um, and they're still not in the eight at the moment. But they could get there. If they, if they have a good fortnight, they could get there, definitely. They've just been a little bit inconsistent the last month or so. But yeah, this was brilliant. And it does help when your big man up forward kicks seven goals straight. Some of those goals he kicked were like from a long way out and not on an easy angle. Just beautiful. Like you love seeing a goal kicked from 50 metres out on a 45 degree angle just sail through. It goes as high in the air as it does far across the ground. Like, it's just a beautiful thing. And he, and he did it, I mean, perfectly. Seven goals straight. You don't see that very often. So, yeah, well done to Mita Peter. And then in the Sunday evening game, we had Brisbane slaughtering Fremantle and their final soaps to the tune of 64 points. Uh, there isn't a whole lot to say here, really. Fremantle, like, given this is at Optus Stadium, this is pretty disappointing from them. Um, they had a really good win against Richmond the week before, but Brisbane just found a little bit of form that they had been lacking the last month or so. Um, Dane Zorko played one of those games where he brought his own footy, 34 touches, 17 contested possessions, and a goal, 10 tackles. A little bit freaky from the little fella. Um, but yeah, Brisbane just, they, they went over there and they're like, right, we've been, you know, off our game. Let's, let's absolutely mince this team that is trying to make finals. And that is exactly what they did. And, and Fremantle, I don't know, that they, they did this, this was a couple of weeks ago against, more than a couple, might have been three weeks ago, against Geelong. Like, it was at Optus Stadium, they had a chance to really like, you know, like Essendon have, like St Kilda have, really grab a spot in the top eight, really cement themselves as a legitimate 
team this year um, and they just fell flat on their face. That was on Friday night, two or three weeks ago, that Geelong game, and they've done the same thing here. Just They do actually have quite a young team still, Fremantle, so it makes sense that they're going to get tired. You know, they're, they're, you know, they've still got plenty of plenty of youth. You know, you guys like Tracy and Henry, Meek was in the team, Crowden, like not, you know, even your Brayshaws and your Cheras, they're not very young, but they're on the young side and it's it's a long year. It's longer than what last year was. They're coming off, like all, every team had a shorter preseason than usual. So, you know, it it's not you know, inexcusable for a younger team to have a pretty rough game late in the year, and that's what this was. So, yeah, look, it happens. Brisbane, this will be awesome for their confidence. Uh, I don't know how much... Yeah, they're two games behind Port Adelaide now, so they're not going to get back into the top four. The question will be, oh, they're actually fifth now, and Sydney is sixth again because of that big percentage boost they got. So, yes, their percentage will come into it as to whether they finish above or below Sydney. That's pretty interesting. Um, There you go. Yeah, so a big win is good for them. They can't make top four now, but, you know, wherever you finish in the top eight, you'll want that momentum. Think of the Bulldogs in 2016, right? They just had the best month that you can imagine. Coming from seventh, just went bang, 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 bang. You want that momentum. If you've got momentum, if your team has belief, doesn't matter where you finish, you can win the thing. Helps to finish in the top four, but doesn't matter sometimes. So that's a good win for Brisbane's confidence. Um, There's not a whole, like, there isn't a whole lot to dissect in this game. Fremantle were just outplayed, outmuscled, um, but by just a much more skilled Brisbane outfit. Like, you look at Brisbane's best players, Zorko, Lyons, McCluggage. Even McInerney was very good, kicked a couple of goals. It was their, their engine room that was really dominant against, you know, compare it to Fremantle. Brayshaw, Chera, Darcy, much younger, still good players, but much younger. So if you're a Frio supporter, I'd be looking the next year. Don't be too heartbroken. Um, you're going to come good. It's just going to take another 12 months, I'd say. And then we come to last night. Monday night in Perth. Now, you might be wondering why I'm not posting this until Tuesday afternoon. Well, because last time there was a Monday night game in Perth, I fell asleep while I was recording. And if you listen to that, you know what a disaster it was. So, yeah, recording today, just, you know, off off a good night's sleep. This was a really, really odd game. So, pretty good in the, like, good contest in the first half. Then Melbourne come out after halftime and absolutely blow West Coast away, out to a 30-point margin. Come out, come out in the third quarter, and lightning strikes, and they have to stop the game. So, you know, there, there, there's been games throughout history that have stopped for various reasons. There was the lights that went out at Waverley, um, but yeah, this was a strange one. And and when it happened, 
and no one knew what the rules were. Everyone was like, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to get the points? Are we going to keep playing? Oh, what's happened? Everyone was panicking. But it turns out, so it turns out that the rule is if a game is stopped due to lightning and it is in the second half and they are unable to resume within an hour, the team who is in front gets the four points. And look, in this game, it wouldn't have really mattered. Melbourne won anyway. They were a long way in front. But it, like, there's a reason that that rule blows my mind. Yeah, fair enough. It's not going to happen very often. Maybe once in... 50 years, maybe once in 100 years, I don't know. But imagine if Lightning hadn't come for another 10 minutes in this game. Imagine there's only 5 minutes, maybe 5 or 10 minutes to go. And imagine the margin's a little bit smaller. Imagine it's only a 2-goal margin. Say there's 7 minutes to go, 2 goals the difference. Lightning comes and they can't resume. This game was very important for both of these teams. Let's say it's Melbourne who is in front by the two goals, right? The game can't resume, they get the four points. If I'm a West Coast supporter, I would be apoplectic. Like, just because of weather, we just lose? The game wasn't over. That rule blows my mind. There should never be a game that doesn't finish. Games should always be finished, even if, you know even if you have to come back the next day and just play, you know, even if you just reset that quarter, right? We're not, we're not going to play with seven minutes to go. We're going to reset the quarter, just play 30 minutes, see what happens. But, yeah, that, it really surprised me that that was the rule. That's, I think they brought that in, they were saying last night, because there was thunderstorms suspected for the grand final last year, which didn't eventuate. So they had to refresh that rule just in case there was lightning at the grand final. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And and when West Coast come back out after the lightning break, they were like a different team. I couldn't believe it. But they, they were suddenly playing like they really, really wanted to win. After they hadn't been playing at all like they really, really wanted to win. And, and you know, it, it, like it's so funny. All the commentators, BT, who we all know is my favourite commentator. He's really not. I fucking hate BT. No one gives a shit BT where anyone went to school, for God's sake. Um, but they're all they're all like, oh, why haven't West Coast played like this for the entire game? Where was this for the first three quarters? Man, 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 man. Well, they couldn't play like that for an entire game because they're all 29 years old and they would die if they did that for an entire game. That's why. You know, it took them to have a second halftime break to have enough energy to come out and do that. Anyway, yeah, it was a funny old game. It was actually not unentertaining. Like, it was pretty good to watch. Like, we had torrential rain. That was another thing the commentators loved saying last night. Oh, the rain is teeming down. Oh, it's teeming with rain. I heard the word teeming about 15 times in the broadcast light. I wanted to team my own head in. Um, but, yeah, it was not a bad game. Melbourne started strong, West Coast came back, West Coast showed why they are not a bad team, but they also showed why they are a bad team. Um, if West Coast can hang on to a spot in the top eight, it's hard to see them not just making up the numbers. But if the finals are all, if they are exclusively held at Optus Stadium, and Fremantle, if West Coast are involved... 
I would be very, very nervous if I had to play them. If I'm Brisbane, who finish 5th, West Coast finish 8th, and I have to play them at Optus Stadium, I would be a little bit worried. I'd be very worried. I'd much rather play them at a neutral venue in the middle of the West Australian desert somewhere than at Optus Stadium, seriously. Um, but yeah, it was a funny old game last night. Really, really funny game. Ben Brown seems to have, you know, finally, oh, excuse me, have finally arrived as the full forward messiah that Melbourne have been waiting for him to be. He's been good the last few weeks, but he was very good in very rough conditions for a key forward last night. So, um, it's, it's hard to see Sam Wiedemann getting back into the team during finals unless there is an injury. Tom McDonald was a laid out, but apparently he'll be right for next week. Um... Luke Jackson looks more and more likely to win the Rising Star. A lot of people are saying Tom Green's going to win it, but I don't know. There's something about a 19-year-old, two-metre-tall ruckman who plays like a, you know, a midfielder just gets me very excited. So I think he might be the one who wins it. Played very well against his childhood hero, Nick Natanui, being a WA boy. But yeah, good, good performance from Melbourne to find, just yeah, just to get back into a little bit of form. I think, you know, yes, at times in the second half of the year, they have struggled to score heavily, and they still haven't, except for last week, they still haven't really, you know, found scoring a lot easy. But one thing about finals, you don't see high scoring very often. You really don't. It's all about defence all about defense so I, th I think Melbourne are as likely as anyone to win the premiership this year now following the Bruce injury depends depends on a few things I think the grand final currently so two weeks to go in the home away season I think the grand final is most likely going to be Melbourne Geelong but I could also see Port Adelaide getting in there if they can maintain their current form. The Bulldogs, I think it's just going to be a little bit too hard. They, they, if they do end up having to rely on Jamari Hagen and, you know, Cody Waitman to kick a lot of their goals, it's a lot to ask. Excuse me. It's a lot to ask, for, you know, first-year player or second-year player in Waitman to carry you in a final series, but... We'll wait and see. This has been one of the best seasons I can remember. We've still got two weeks to go, and there are two spots up for grabs in the top eight. It is so exciting to see who's going to take them, especially when I'm pretty sure it's not going to be St Kilda, so I can relax a little bit. All right, thanks heaps for listening, guys. Remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Instagram at timespent underscore podcast. Uh, if Melbourne is able to be out of lockdown for the final series, I am working on getting potentially a guest or two in for some of the finals episodes. People who are from, you know, who have been involved at AFL level at, in different roles. So that's exciting. That's if we can have people at our house. It's not looking likely. Um... Yeah, as I've said before, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in lockdown or not, whether you're in quarantine, whatever, um, hope you're doing good. 
And thanks for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.